Welcome to the Yaruki Zero Games Podcast, episode 19, Back in Action. Okay, so it's now been over a year since I last recorded a podcast, and I don't really have any good reason or excuse for that, except that every time I try to sit down and record one, I get about a third of the way through and then stop stop working on it and mean to come back and never quite do it. In fact, this is like my third attempt at doing this podcast and new things keep happening and I keep ending up uh, having to stop and do something else. Um, so in theory, I'm all inspired to start doing podcasts again, basically because uh, quite a while ago I had this idea to do a riff of Final Fantasy VII Advent Children. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with riff tracks. Um, they're uh, one of the descendant projects from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Mike Nelson, Bill Corbett, and Kevin Murphy got together and were doing this thing where they sell uh, uh, MP3 commentaries that you sync up and play along with different movies. Basically, that, that lets them do uh, riffs of big-name titles, and they also, uh, a few years ago, started doing a thing called iRiffs, where fans could upload and sell uh, their own riffs through the site. So me and a friend of mine are hoping to do one, and that inspired me to buy a, a fancy new uh, podcast mixer and microphones, which I justified to myself on the principle that I could use them for the podcast also. And then two months went by. So, yeah. So it's been about a year since I did a podcast episode, so there's a lot of things I want to catch up on, talk about on the podcast at least, even if I haven't, even if I've already uh, blogged about them extensively on my blog, uh, so I'm just going to jump into that and going to run through like eight or ten different things. Uh, so here goes. Uh, the first thing is Golden Sky Stories. If you haven't been keeping up, Golden Sky Stories is what we have renamed uh, the Japanese RPG Yuyake Koyake, and uh, several months, like I think it was in last November, actually. Uh, we were finally publicly announced. We we have licensed it, and we are going to be publishing it. Uh, we being me and my friend Mike Stevens, uh, we are starting up a uh, independent publishing thing called we're calling it Starline Publishing, and we have a website StarlinePublishing.com. Uh, there's there's not a huge amount of stuff on there just yet. It's basically, you know, a, a product page and contact info and uh, blog posts about Golden Sky Stories so far. Um, I've talked about Gold, Golden Sky Stories under the name of Yuyake Koyake several times in the past, but to recap, uh, it is a, a heartwarming Japanese RPG. Uh, in it, uh, players take on the role of Henge, which are uh, different animals that have a little bit of magical power. Uh, notably, uh, they can talk and they have the ability to temporarily take on human form. And the, in, the, in the game, you basically, you play one of these henge, and uh, the, the main thing in the game is that you uh, help out ordinary people in this little town in rural Japan who have fa fairly normal problems most of the time. Uh, there, there's some other stuff you can get into, like uh, one of the types of NPCs are what are called local gods, and they kind of uh, they're more powerful than Henge, and they protect a certain particular area and don't really care a whole lot about what happens outside of it. So that that gives you lots of room to use them in stories for different things. Um, but regardless, you know, it's this heartwarming game. It uh, 
It's actually a, a diceless resource-based game, and I think it probably uh, uses that style of game mechanics a lot better than you typically see. Um, because the tone of it is so, you know, bright and heartwarming, it's also uh, not very conflicted or competitive, so that what would be kind of perverse incentives for the way that people treat their the, the points that you have to spend on things in a normal game actually works to, go to the game's advantage. Uh, so we have uh, Clay Gardner, who you, you might be familiar with his work if you know the game OVA, Open Versatile Anime. Uh, or he's, he's also done quite a bit of graphic design work for uh, a company called Minion Games that makes board games. Uh, they recently had a very successful Kickstarter for a game called Tahiti. Uh, and we're also doing a Kickstarter. Uh, the plan is to do it either after or start it up near the end of the Kickstarter for Tenra Bancho Zero. Uh, and if you want to know about Tenra Bancho Zero, and if you're interested in Japanese RPGs, you do want to know about it. Uh, it's uh, tenra-rpg.com. That's the game that uh, Andy Kitkowski has been working on just forever, since like 2005, I think. And it is finally just about ready to, to drop. And it's going, you know, it went from being a thing where he's thinking, well, maybe we'll do a D20 adaptation or something to, you know, here's our ultra-detailed translation with tons of uh, cultural notes, with uh, with a gorgeous layout by Luke Crane, with uh, with extra material pulled from supplements. It's going to be like two hardcover books, big thick ones, that, that it, and the, the total package is going to cost like $55, which is for the, for the quality of books you're getting, that that's going to be a, a steal. Now, we haven't completely 100% nailed down what the rewards are going to be for the Golden Sky Stories Kickstarter. I mean, obviously, you know, we're going to have the PDF and the print book of Golden Sky Stories itself, uh, and we're going to have some uh, pledge levels that'll net you copies of Made RPG. Uh, and we're thinking about T-shirts. We're going to be uh, Ben Lehman is putting together a new character type for the game, which is going to be Fish Henge, which which I'm really liking how, how his uh, version is turning out so far, and some other cool stuff like that. So uh, I'll, I'll hope we'll have uh, good news for you on that front soon, and, and please do stay tuned. Uh, and of course, I have to talk a bit about Magical Burst. Uh, so if you're not familiar, there's a genre of anime and manga called Magical Girls, or Maho Shoujo in Japanese. It was originally just pretty much exactly what the name implied. It was uh, it would be about a show about a girl who had some kind of magical powers, and it often actually tended to be kind of a slice of life thing. Um, so the, it, it, there would be shows like uh, Fancy Lala and Minky Momo and so forth. Um, then came Sailor Moon, and, and Sailor Moon is kind of a turning point in the genre because uh, Naoko Takeuchi, Takeuchi. Uh, Took magical girls and kind of mixed them with Sentai, which if you don't if you don't know is basically the the genre of live action special effects tokusatsu shows that Power Rangers is an American dub of. So she went. So she she took the genre that usually has one girl with magic powers using them to address everyday problems and turned it into a show about five girls who fight monsters. And granted, the Sailor Sen, Sailor Senshi or Sailor Scouts in the American dub have kind of a indirect and girly fighting style most of the time. But, you know, it, it changed it. They, they started fighting monsters, and it 
it spun off and there have been other series like uh, Tokyo Mew Mew and Precure that, that take a similar tack. And then, you know, there, and then so naturally there's also uh, series that are, are aimed at male fans more. Uh, the, the really obvious one being uh, Lyrical Nanoha, which I highly recommend, by the way. So it's a genre, though, that kind of cries out to be uh, subverted and parodied and so on in, in some way. And, and, you know, to some extent, the the source material does that by itself. You know, that I mean, it does happen that magical girls die and things like that. I mean, it does, it, it does get fairly dark sometimes. But still, you know, I, was, I really wanted at some point to have a series that had kind of a dark and depressing and subversive approach to it, and that came along uh, recently in the form of uh, the full English title, which is slightly mangled Latin, is uh, Puella Mikey Madoka Magica. Most people call it Madoka or Madoka Magica. And it had a lot of elements that really, really inspired me. You know, one of the key ones is uh, Magical Girl series often have like a, a little furry mascot character that's the one that kind of comes up to the girl and says, hey, you know, you can become a magical girl. And the, that critter is normally, like, really cute and friendly and all, only has her best interest at heart. And in Madoka Magica, Kyube, the the furry mascot creature, is kind of sinister and is an alien that doesn't really understand human values at all. And to me, that's really interesting. And there's lots of other things about it that I don't really want to get into because, uh, spoiler alert, I mean, the head writer of it was a guy named uh, Gen Urobuchi, who's known for his dark, like, nihilistic t- uh, settings and storytelling, uh, like, to the point where they were trying to keep his involvement a secret before the series aired, and it did get leaked, but, uh, so it's just a really well done, well animated, and, you know, I was happy that uh, they got, of all people, uh, Oki Yume, who's uh, best known for uh, Hidemari Sketch, which is an adorable slice-of-life series, uh, to do the character designs. It's all very strange, the, the, the range of things they put together in that series, but it works ever so well. Oh, and Yuki Kajura does the music, and I love her music, but anyway. Um, so how does this re- relate to an RPG? Well, uh, a number of years ago, I had been getting really inspired by... Uh, Takeshi Murakami's whole super flat thing, which I don't really want to get into here, because that's another discussion that's going to be even longer than the Magical Girl chat just now. Um, But it inspired me to try to start working on a kind of Magical Girl parody game, which I titled Magical Burst. And the idea of it was that it was Magical Girls, but their kind of uh, technicolor and sanity would go out of control sometimes. And so I, I took some bits of that, and started working on a new game called Magical Burst. So it's uh, it's an RPG that's not it's not a it ha- it has a very definite Madoka Magica inspiration, but it's really not uh, Madoka with the serial numbers filed off. Like I ended up uh, putting in the appendix a thing about how to make it more like Madoka Magica, and it requires some pretty pivotal changes to the rules. But the core of what makes uh, Magical Burst tick is that uh, basically. Uh, the, the core system is you roll 2d6 and add your attribute, and that's your result, and you're trying to get over something. But when you're rolling with magic, sixes explode, and, but every time they... So that, you know, boosts your roll, but that also that also gives you points of what's called overcharge. 
and the overcharge, then if you get enough of it, then your character can have weird little temporary effects or have mutations, which are always really weird magical technicolor mutations and up to the thing that's the title of the game the magical burst where there's just a giant explosion of energy a la that one scene from akira so the the core engine of the rules is base is the the thing that you know conflict leads the characters to use magic which creates problems for them um and the thing about this game which is the reason why i'm talking about it first ahead of all these other ones is that I, I guess there's enough of a want for a quasi-Madoka Magica game that it's become really popular. Like, to the point where I'm I'm kind of jealous of how much other people have gotten to play it, because I, I really haven't gotten to do all that much with it myself. And granted, some of it was, you know, I posted up the first draft of it, saying, here's a thing, whatever, and people were playing it, and it's like, I was kind of like, really? It's not really ready for play, per se. I was just throwing it out to get it, to get feedback. Um, and it's since progressed to the, th- the third draft, and I'm currently working on the fourth. Um, and it's coming together, and, you know, people are really liking it. So, yeah, this is a game that I really need to bring to fruition, because, damn, but there is an audience for it. Um, I've posted a, uh, posted about it on my blog uh, already, but uh, for the new version, uh, those are the major things I'm working on, is uh, taking the... Because uh, in the appendix, I put a thing, like a set of tables so that you could randomly determine some stuff for your magical girl, and people just love that to pieces. And, you know, I intended it to be kind of an optional thing, but a lot of people are just like, why wouldn't you, why would you ever not randomly roll for this stuff? Uh, so I decided to just run with it, and so I'm expanding the tables, so basically so that if you really want to, you can follow them start to finish and basically have a complete character. You know, there, there weren't all that many things to add. It's basically uh, a, a means of generating attributes, and uh, for, didn't really need to, but for fun, I added a, a finishing move name generator table, and I loved it. The, the very first one I rolled on it, just to try it out, was Love Smasher Fortissimo, which sounds amazing, and I don't, I, I've played with it rolling some more, and none have quite topped that, but yeah. Um, and I'm also uh, refining the uh, normal moves, which are or the moves and the normal attributes. Basically, the, the game has magical attributes and then normal attributes. And the ones in the third draft were kind of iffy, and I'm working on fixing those up. And then uh, one of the big things is that the the math for combat it needs some work. Like the basically, I didn't make the Yoma the monsters nearly strong enough. And people tended to just blow through them. So it, one of my one of my rules for the the new version is just Yoma, make them freaking mean, and then scale back if I have to. So we'll see how that goes. I just I keep getting distracted by other things, and then every time I mention I'm working on something else, Ben Lehman is like, "You need to finish Magical Burst." So that helps me keep on track with it. But only it only goes so far, as you'll see as I list off all these other things I've been working on. Uh, okay, so the next thing on my list of things to talk about is Dragon World. Um, and th- this is a little bit of a weird one because uh, basically what happened was I was finally sitting down to read uh, the manga of Dragon Half. And if uh, most people, the, the few people in the U.S. who know Dragon Half know it as a two-part OEV. It's very, very silly. It's kind of a, a weird fantasy parody thing about a half-dragon girl who's in love with a knight who's a dragon slayer and... That doesn't even, that's not even the half of how weird it is. Um, 
and, and it's one of those things where you know they got a two episode OV. They were hoping to do four and didn't have the funding, and then the manga was actually like a whole seven volumes. And since I liked the anime so much, I think mean, it's like I finally got around to reading it, and I got inspired. Said, like, couldn't we? Could, could I do an RPG based off of this? And of all things, I wound up making it as a, an apocalypse world hack. And I think the thing with apocalypse world is like even if you're not interested in it at all, like if, if the post-apocalyptic theme doesn't grab you in any way, you should at least read the rules because there's so much that's, uh, I'm not even sure how to put it. It's really like taught people how to do something new. And I'm not even sure how to really articulate that. It does things like, you know, it has a system of moves, which, I, which I'm trying to adapt to work properly in Magical Burst also. But the basic idea with moves in Apocalypse World is, you know, the, the player says, says something that they're going to do. The GM or MC, Master of Ceremonies, has them roll. And, and the move basic, will basically say, you know, uh, you're, you're rolling 2d6 plus your stat, where stats range from um, minus 1 to plus 2 typically. And if you get a 7 to 9, you get this. And if you get a 10 plus, you get this. And if you roll... Uh, six or less, which is a miss, you get something else. And so it, it creates this really tight loop from uh, stuff happening in, in-game to a bit of mechanics that spit out something else that happens in-game. And that seems like... You, it sounds like I'm describing how like every mechanic ever works, but I'm not, and it, it the way that he does it in particular is really powerful, and I'm probably doing a terrible job of explaining it, so you really need to take a look at it. It also does... The other thing it does is that he's really well and articulately described how he uh, GMs the game in a way that some people are bothered by because it seems like uh, the, the game isn't flexible enough, even though it's one of the very few, if only, RPGs I know of that has an entire chapter dedicated how to, uh, to how to tack and change it. Um, the, I think the trick with Apocalypse World is that it's such a finely tuned machine that you, if you want to change it, you need to do so in a, in a more conscious way than you would normally with an RPG. So anyway, Dragon World. That's what I was talking about. So Dragon World is my 90s comedy fantasy anime, 90s comedy fantasy anime uh, apocalypse world hack. So, uh, you know, one, one, of the, one of the changes I made is simply that I replaced harm with the concept of falling down, which is... A little different from Toon, say. If you're familiar with Toon, it's basically your character has 1d6 plus 6 hit points. And when you run out of hit points, you're out of the game for 3 minutes. And that's it. You know, it's it's very cartoon logic. And I'm making Apocalypse World work a little... Or Dragon World work a little bit differently. Basically, it's kind of the thing that, you know, when I... When I a few years ago, I dusted off my copy of Toon. I love the game, and I got a lot of fun out of it when I was in middle school. But, you know, when I was playing it... As an adult, my the whole time, a little corner of my brain was going. Cartoon characters don't have hit points, so you know. Initially, I, in Dragon World, I made uh, falling down a binary thing, where it's just you know they roll and you try you roll to endure strife, and either you make the roll and you don't fall down, or you fail the roll, and you're out for the rest of the scene, and that that's created some problems I didn't anticipate. Uh, basically, the thing being that you know if you're if you're out of the scene, the rest of the scene, uh, for a while, and you have no real control over it, it kind of sucks. Uh, so the, the thing I'm working on right now is a system where characters have what I'm tentatively calling guts points. 
and I'm still trying to figure out the right way for characters to gain those. But basically, it's that you know you have you have points that you can spend to not fall down, but when you do, you have to roll with your sanity stat to basically not have a stress explosion, all kind of like in made RPG. So. You know, it's you can stay on your feet, but you'll possibly freak out unless you're a particularly sane character. I think I have like 11, 12 character types in the game right now. Um, although, of course, adding new mechanics with guts and other things, uh, I, I'm going to be making a bunch of changes to them. But uh, you know, I, I've been drawing on also inspiration from things like slayers. So there is a half dragon character type, or I'm sort of calling them classes. Uh, there's a half dragon, and there's all. There's also stuff like the explosive mage, which is basically Lena in verse. Let's see what else. The uh, chosen visitor is a favorite of mine because that's a Japanese kid who's wound up in this fantasy world with some special destiny. Uh, there's the useless bard. There's the dumb fighter, which is basically Gallery. The nut job cleric, Amelia from Slayers. Uh, and basically, just for me, I, I I made the psycho warlord, or no, the mad warlord class, which is basically that uh, I had my human warlord character in 4E Octavia, and I wanted to make a character type so I could play her. So I put that in, and you can bet if I ever uh, wound up being the player instead of the DM for uh, Dragon World, I'm going to play a mad warlord. Oh, and I should mention that in, I'm just for no good reason uh, I. In Dragon World, I renamed the Master of Ceremony to DM, which in this game stands for Dragon Master, for no particular reason. And since I'm apparently doing this discussion of Dragon World in a weird order, uh, I should also mention that one of the things that came out of the playtest was that for my group, the, the Apocalypse World way of doing experience just does not work at all. I can see why Vince did it, and I can see why a lot of people like it, but it just does not work for us. It... I mean, the first thing is that it's just a routine thing that 20 minutes into the game, we're like, oh yeah, we forgot to highlight stats. And then also on top of that, uh, it's kind of the thing that it creates perverse incentives and people try to spam moves that relate to their highlighted stats. So uh, my plan is basically to make it so that there's a move called level up. It just says, you know, you once per session, you gain it in advance and that's it. And you, you basically, you can do it anytime between scenes, because I added a little bit of scene framing, and falling down is dependent on that, and so are certain other mechanics. And I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes, but, you know, it's basically, I've, I've, I think I fin have finished written writing it up. Uh, there aren't, I'm, I was a little worried that there was, like, a ton of kind of moving parts that it was connected to that I was going to have to worry about. And I think it's not too bad. So, you know, it's been tremendous fun to play so far, to be honest. Uh, there, there's, you know, there, there's obviously kings I'm trying to work out. It, if you really feel the need to try it out right away, uh, the put up a draft on uh, my blog. And you can check it out if you like. Uh, personally, one of the things that I've found with it is that it really, for me at least, it tops out at about uh, four players. Um, basically, the thing is that... Well, I, I kind of feel that way about a lot of games, really, when I think about it. But uh, one of the things with Dragon World specifically is that uh, each player character has temptations, um, basically, and things that they're into that when they see they have to make the act sensibly despite temptation move to not go after it. And so that's a really interesting thing that adds a lot to the game. And, you know, when you have four people and they have two temptations each, it's manageable to... to uh, make good use of them, but the more people you add, the harder it is to fit them in. Unless there's, I guess, unless there's like a ton of overlap or something. Just you know, the the DM has more uh, 
per player commitment moment to moment than some other games. Um, I should also mention that uh, I recently uh, started re- all right, read. Uh, there's a there's only a f- there's very few apocalypse world hacks that have like completely come to fruition, uh, and one of them, and probably one of the very best, is uh, Monster Hearts. As a game from Joe McDonaldno that is basically a a kind of messed up paranormal romance RPG. You know, it's it's Twilight and True Blood and all those done well as an RPG, and it, it's kind of the thing that. I would be leery of actually playing it myself, but to me it's just awesome that there's a game that exists that does that and does it well. And there's a couple of things that I got out of it that I think are worth mentioning, and I, I wrote a blog post about it, but I'm going to talk about it here anyway. Uh, the first thing is just that Joe really, really like owns the Apocalypse World rules in the text, and he really uses them in his own way, which I think is really great, and it's kind of something that like I, I think that a lot of the the flaws in Dragon World in my first attempt at it came from sticking a little too close to the, the style and formatting of Apocalypse Worlds. Uh, like, so for example, uh, one of the one of the interesting things about Monster Hearts is that uh, it has, you know, it does have basic moves, and obviously they're they're totally different because they're aimed at this uh, teen paranormal romance concept. But one of the other great things about it is that it has like an extra paragraph of explanation for what each basic move does in the game. That extra background about its purpose really helps make the text that really crystal clear. Because, you know, one of the things about uh, the Apocalypse World rulebook is that it really gives me the feeling that it feels like to Vince that having a text is like a necessary evil versus something that he does for fun. Taking that and expanding it and giving more uh, clarity and background on what the intent of the rules is, I, I think is a really good idea. And so I don't know what I'm going to do specifically with Dragon World from that, but that's something to look into. Um, the other thing about uh, Monster Hearts that is really, really fascinating is it has a mechanic that he, that's called strings. And that that's basically the relationship mechanic. And, you know, because the game is all about, you know, screwed up relationships and people kind of having power over each other. Uh, so, so strings are kind of like a per-character currency. So there's moves that gain them, gain, give you strings on people. Uh, like one of, one of them is uh, turn someone on for example. So you can spend strings to do things like give yourself plus one to a roll against someone and things like that. And, you know, I'm not going to lift that verbatim, but to me that's a really interesting take on relationship mechanics because it's kind of the idea of uh, rules that represent relationships is really appealing because there's lots of, you know, stories and genres and such that where the relationships are a really key element. Um, but to me, one of the issues is how to have the mechanics... Have them not feel like they're trying to either dictate or like they're lagging behind what's going on in at the kind of pure role playing level of things. And so, to me, uh, the uh, strings are kind of ephemeral enough that they're not going to feel that way. Because you know, you know, if you you know, you can your characters can whether or not your characters are like are like you know madly in love or what have you doesn't really have anything to do with whether whether they have, well, it could have to do with it. Okay, whether or not your characters are madly in love with each other doesn't mean that at a given moment they do or don't have the power to like manipulate each other. That, that kind of thing can fluctuate, and strings are, uh, as a game mechanic, ephemeral enough that you don't have to, that you can kind of justify them however you want when you spend them. They, they can be kind of, they can, they don't have to necessarily represent any particular thing while you have them. 
and you, you know, but you know exactly what they are when you're using them. So th that's something that's definitely going to influence how I how I approach like a slime story, which if you haven't been keeping up with the blog for several years, is my game about teenagers hunting monsters that come out of portals in the style of an MMO. And so I, I really wanted relationship mechanics to be an important thing, but I wasn't sure how to go about doing it. And I think that the the strings concept and some of the at least some of the aspects of it are going to help me do that a lot better. But anyway, let's move on. I think I've talked about this more than anything else in the podcast so far. Okay, and the next thing I want to talk about is Raspberry Heaven. If you've been following the blog for a long, long time, Raspberry Heaven is a thing I've been trying to work on for ages. Um, basically, a number of years ago, I hit on the idea of a, trying to do an RPG for a uh, for like a uh, slice of life schoolgirl manga in the style of, uh, say, Azumanga Daio and Hidemari Sketch and Lucky Star, and there, there's several others, and I probably own more volumes of those than like anyone else in this hemisphere. And it's a really hard thing to do an RPG about that, because a lot of the stuff that you think about as being basic for an RPG just isn't uh, desirable or necessary for the game. Um, and it's a story I've told several times before, but you know, my first attempt at writing Raspberry Heaven was, you know, the game was really flat because I realized the hard way that the, I was working on a game that didn't really need anything in the way of uh, determining success or failure. My second attempt was, had some interesting ideas, but it wasn't like the, the mechanics, were, I think, were a little too fiddly and like were kind of a distraction from role playing. Uh, for for a while, I had shelved it, and then you know I had I've been playing Fiasco a bit, and that that was kind of pointing me in the right direction, I think, because it's a game that uh, it, ha it has game mechanics in some really important places, but one of the key things about it is it kind of trusts the players to sit down and roleplay stuff. So I hadn't really gotten started on that, and then something else rather interesting happened, which was, uh, uh, you know, people often talk about ways to kind of integrate technology into roleplaying in, in uh, more and more interesting ways, but people tend to think about it in terms of using technology in ways that don't change the experience at all. And I think the thing about, you know, when, if, you're, if you're going to do something like put an iPad into an RPG, uh, you, you need to really think about you think about how that integrates with it on a more fundamental level. Because uh, there's a lot of things where it's like, you could do this in RPG, but, you know, w when you think about doing it with, like, say, D&D &D or whatever, it, it seems really, like, cumbersome. And it and it's not that the this alternative approach to doing an RPG is a problem so much as taking it and imposing it on a, on a totally traditional RPG. Did that make sense? I, I'm not sure. Um, so, but, okay, so, you know, I, I was thinking about how to, uh, if it would be possible to take an RPG and put it in the form of an iPhone app. You know, it's a pretty simple concept, but, you know, I, I started kind of setting more complex, or not complex, more stringent requirements on myself. So uh, one of the things I wanted to do was to make it so that, you know, the game is in the form of an iPhone app, and the iPhone app should be the only thing you need. So, you know, it'd be part of the game that, uh, you know, you, you bring it up on your on your smartphone, and it kind of walks you through the game. You don't need, uh, ideally, want it to have it be so that you don't need character sheets, you don't need uh, multiple devices, you don't need any of that. I mean, all of those things are, are things that you could do, 
you know, someday I would really love to be able to buy and play, say, a game that that's like a an RPG that integrates tactical combat, where the tactical combat is a thing where, you know, say everyone has a smartphone and then you set a tablet in the middle of the table or something cool like that. That would be really neat, but uh, with my present gaming group, it's just not feasible. Maybe half of the people can get uh, have smartphones, and the other half it's just never going to happen, or at least not anytime soon. So you know that that was what from from my uh, personal thing, what uh, impelled me to to try to come up with a thing that uses only the one device as a limitation. I've also been kind of following the uh, you know something awful is this infamous website and it has a huge huge forum and it's like 4chan in the sense that it's so big that if you you can't really make generalizations about the crowd that goes there because you know different forums attract different people with different things so i had been following some of the stuff in their uh, tabletop gaming forum or traditional gaming i believe it's called and one of the things was uh there's a poster who uh goes by the name gao i think uh fugaros on twitter and so he, he's been doing this blog called How Not to Run a Game Business and basically pointing out people's bad practices in terms of the game industry, of which there are many. And so one of the things he did was he had a contest called, called the uh, Brainful of Games Contest. And he wanted people to submit really original, game-changing ideas for RPGs so or, or other kinds of tabletop games, I guess. Uh, so I, you know, did a... Did a uh, a shorter write-up of my RPG app concept and sent it in, and I was one of the two co-winners. So that in turn got me to say, okay, well, how the heck do I do one of these? What should it be a- even be about? Because I hadn't really thought that far. And the moment I started brainstorming about it, like one of the very first things I wrote down was Raspberry Heaven. So since then, I've been in the process of developing, uh, doing design docs, basically, for the Raspberry Heaven iPhone app, or, or smartphone app, because if we do it, we're definitely going to do an android version too because well android is growing very fast and inevitably people ask for it so and what has happened since then is basically uh i guess partly to not feel guilty for taking the concept himself uh gao has a has a small uh rpg publishing startup called goblin works not to be confused with the Pathfinder online thing. He actually registered the name first, apparently, and so he basically he said that you know you know they're going to publish it for me. They're going to manage running a Kickstarter or whatever once it's ready. So I have uh, so I've been in the process of designing it. I put together a kind of simple tabletop analog tabletop version that I call the Raspberry Heaven Practice Test, which if you really want you can download from the site. I, I've I've tried it once and it turned out pretty well. So I. I I think I'm on the right track. The the thing about it is basically that for the app version, the the some of the stuff, it, it it's basically that uh, one of the things the app does for you is that it gives you uh, a selection of random uh, seed elements to use, and then it, it and the random randomly selected elements are weighted based on like what characters you're playing and things like that. And so putting that together is more involved than I realized, so it's, it's taking some time to get done. And I need I really need to do at least a basic version of that before we can really start getting into developing the app. So it, it's taking time, and I've got all this other stuff, with, especially with getting Golden Sky Stories off the ground on my plate. So Oh, and I said, depending on what characters you're playing, and that's one of the major changes I made, and I'm talking really fast now because I'm excited, and I have caffeine in my system, unlike before. Uh, 
Um, one of the thing, one of the changes I made from because you know previously I had been thinking in terms of thinking of Raspberry Heaven in terms of a game where you create your own character, and on top of that, in terms of that those characters being you know Japanese schoolgirls, and so what I did instead was uh, in making this app version, I made a cast of uh, six characters you choose from six pre-made characters and i also made them american and it's basically that one uh i want the characters to i want basically to not need to have any kind of character sheets or anything like that and then two i you know it's kind of very fitting i think for the genre and in general that there, that there would be some characters that you can kind of uh get to know and be familiar with even if you're playing the game with different groups of people and you know it's kind of the thing that i really like that because uh, what happens a lot of times with RPGs where you make characters is that you can... It, it's just, it, it takes a little while, unless someone really hits their characterization really well and hard really early on, which doesn't always happen, it's hard to really get a good sense of what the what that character is like, and I think it'll be easier if there's pre-made characters that have really clear personalities and that you have pictures of and things like that. So I really want to see how that works out, because... It's one of those things where it's like, obviously it's not, it's never, it's not bad in any way that RPGs typically have you make your own character, but, you know, it's a, it's a thing that people assume should always be the case, and it definitely doesn't have to always be that way. I have no idea when we're going to get that done, but uh, I'm, I'm, I am excited to work, be working on it, and I really need to get back into taking care of it, but there's just so much else going on. Um, another thing I want to mention briefly is I put together this thing called Entanglements, and you know it's another thing I just put up as a free download. And the idea is, uh, well, the the way I came up with it is that uh, when the Smallville RPG came out, uh, my group we decided to give it a try. You know, we didn't obviously like a lot of people. We didn't bother with the uh, Smallville setting or anything like that. But we did, uh, you know, we, we we did kind of a teens with special powers kind of thing. Or actually, they were college students. And then what, what we did, though, was we uh, switched from Smallville to to Primetime Adventures partway through. And the thing I realized about it was that uh, the the game was much, much richer for us having done the, uh, the Pathways character creation system from Smallville, where you make the big old chart of relationships and things. So... You know, the, the idea just popped in my head. Well, let's have a thing like Pathways that's generic, that you, that's not tied to this the particular system that I can drop into other games. So I wrote Entanglements in like a few hours, and you know, I had and we have tried it out once. We we were doing we decided to do a Wushu game, uh, and we started off doing kind of a round robin setting creation. So we wound up with uh, the thing I've dubbed Ameripunk. One of the wackier ideas in it was that my character was a bibliomancer trained under Mark Twain and in, and entrusted with the mission to recover the Amerinomicon. And that kind of set the tone for the game. But uh, And it was much better because we made a relationship map. And so we kind of... Uh, I've refined the uh, entanglements rules a little bit based on that. Um, and yeah, it, it's... It seems to help a lot, and I'm, I'm really happy with how it turned out. So that's uh, a little thing you can grab. I'll put a link in the show notes, but you can find it on the blog if you uh, go back enough pages. Um, I also wanted to mention briefly, I had two other ideas for whole other RPGs that I'm not going to be really getting into anytime soon, but I just wanted to blog and now podcast about them. Uh, one of them is a thing called Beyond Otaku Dreams. 
Um, and so the the two things came up that kind of inf- gave, put the idea in my head. Uh, one of them was that uh, there's a there's a uh, series out called Unofficial Sentai Akiba Ranger. Um, basically, it's a, a non-canon spin-off of the Sentai series. The again, the thing that uh, Power Rangers is the American dubbed version of. They ma- they made one about like over the top anime fans who uh, at first they think that they've been given like special Sentai hero powers, but it turns out that they're actually like entering a world of their own delusions. The Japanese otaku culture uses the word moso, which usually gets translated as delusion in a, in a pretty particular way. Um, but that, but I'm not sure how to explain it. But um, so there's that. Uh, then uh, something happened was that I went to FanimeCon this year. FanimeCon is the major anime convention in the San Francisco Bay Area, and it, it happens to be really close to my house. And uh, because there was some RPG stuff going on, I was able to finagle a free industry badge, which was nice. So. Uh, one one time I was going there, I, I was arriving at the convention center from the light rail, and there was just this amazing scene. I saw uh, that there are some uh, Christian fundamentalist nutjobs who like to go to basically anything remotely fun that happens in this area, and hold up signs about how you're going to hell and everything. And then, so that they'll come to Fanime Con, it's like a tradition. There was one year where... Uh, this is almost more amazing than the thing I've, I'm about to tell about, but in a different way. There, there was a year when I spotted where you know the the, the Christian protester guys were were there, and then the the, the cosplay Jesus guy was there, and then uh, a guy dressed as Wolfwood who had the giant cross that in the anime is a giant gun held it up behind cosplay Jesus, so he spread out his arms, and then then there were guys cosplaying as the Spartans from 300, so one of them held up his spear to the cosplay Jesus' side, and that was like the most amazing photo op ever. Uh, but this year, there was a uh, you know, there was the, the Christian guys, and there was the fans making fun of them and stuff, and so this is the scene I see you know, there's a guy playing Final Fantasy music on a saxophone, and people generally yelling and whatnot, and then just behind them, I see an ambulance and they're loading a girl who's in full costume in a in a, like a light blue cosplay wig and it reminded me that you know it happens at cons and stuff where you you see you know people are just completely letting everything out they're they're enjoying themselves in a way that they don't they don't seem to the rest of the year or or maybe they do and I don't get to see it but and in the middle of that there there will be people just legitimately in pain in trouble and who are crying and things like that and you know that that so for years I've had this idea that I want to do something about like uh, anime fans who have really powerful dreams and delusions that like draw them into this other dream world, and I've actually I actually tried to write it as a twenty four hour RPG once, um, and I think that now I have the inspiration I need to really do that idea justice because the thing that was missing was basically that you know when people do narratives about otaku they tend to either be really idealized or really cruel they tend to either be just everything's cool and we're awesome or uh saying or just something basically someone taking out their frustrations about the excesses of fandom and just saying these people are worthless and it's okay if they die um you know and in between there there's there's room for stories with some some real pathos and stuff so uh, i want to do a game basically about People who have these dreams, but they also have things from real life that drag them down. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to actually putting that game together and trying it out.
but so much to do. Um, and the other one that I want to do is uh, a number of years ago, I did a long-running campaign using OVA open versatile anime uh, called Divine Machine. And basically the idea is that uh, it's a, a dimension-hopping, multiverse-type setting. Uh, the twist being that uh, at the heart of the multiverse, there's this mechanism that spans an entire universe and then reaches into many others called the Divine Machine that where these godlike beings create new universes and and uh, manage and shepherd the ones that exist and things like that. And there's there's just a ton of different interesting things that went into that campaign that I don't want to have just disappear. And so I want to figure out how to uh, make an RPG about that. And you know, at the time I ran the campaign, I just really had no idea how to do it. And now I'm starting to have a good idea because you know there. Games have come along like uh, Fate and like uh, the Cortex Plus games, especially Marvel Heroic Role Playing. Basically, the thing is that you know it, it's such a expansive game setting that I really need to do it in a style of uh, do a style of game where I, I it's relatively easy to represent just about anything. You know, because I remember with our play group, we had like you know a a, a magical gunslinger detective guy, and we had a a plant alien thief lady and we had a robot and we had a weird artificial life form tech guy and a uh a uh visual rock rocker girl with who had a weird had gray skin and a weird power to open anything and several other weirdnesses like that so you know when i look at it when i look at you know uh the the new marvel rpg say you know the the the, mecha- the mechanics are very, very story-oriented, and that to me gives me kind of a clearer path of how to do it. I, I haven't touched it enough to, to work in the specifics, obviously, but you know that's the general idea, that they, they, they you know, have a conflict resolution system that different abilities have different die types or, or trait levels or something, and, uh, and then that can relate to potentially to conflicts at any scale, from two guys having a fist fight up to... Stuff that's literally over the fate of entire universes. So yeah, that's uh, divine machine for you. Uh, oh yeah, and there's Channel A, which is a really which has kind of a weird story. So uh, Channel A is my first ever attempt at designing a card game. Um, I've mentioned before, uh, but by and large, I'm just it's just I'm an RPG guy, and I don't really do uh, other kinds of tabletop games. Uh, and I kind of, it's kind of like I wish I was into those because I know a lot of people who who like them and would like to play. You know, my one of my RPG groups, uh, basically everyone but me is really big on different kinds of board games. Uh, and as an aside, I let them drag me into playing uh, Star Trek Expeditions, which is which is kind of like I wish I could like this kind of game because this is really well made. It's it's designed by Rainer Nazia or however you say his name, and he's really interesting to follow on Twitter, by the way. Um, but, you know, the way I feel about board games usually is it's kind of like, wow, this is like if someone took an RPG and took out a lot of the good stuff. And with Star Trek Expeditions, I felt that really keenly because there was literally in the game a scene where Kirk got into trouble for getting too close to the ambassador's wife. And, you know, in an RPG, we would get to play that out and see it. And instead it was like a penalty to a die roll and that was it. So yeah, uh, the way Channel A came about was that first of all, uh, I was at a at a party my sister was having. I have, well, I have two sisters. The the younger of the two, Debbie, uh, her fiance, were actually works in the arcade game industry, and their house is, is lousy with pinball machines, which is which is 
really cool, actually. Um, but one of the things we did when we, when we went to the party was we got a big group of like seven or eight people and we played Cards Against Humanity. Now, if you're not familiar, Cards Against Humanity is basically a really tasteless and vulgar version of Apples to Apples. It, ha it has a few uh, distinctive tweaks of its own, things like... Uh, Instead of the adjective cards, it, has, it typically has like either a question or a fill-in-the-blank, and some of those have room for two or three things. Um, but otherwise, it's very much apples to apples. So uh, what I did was basically the sequence of events went, I played it about an hour or two later. I ordered the game from Amazon via my cell phone while still at the party. Then on the way home from the party, I hit on the idea of making an expansion called Weeaboo Bullshit, which would be a collection of random stuff about uh, anime fandom and things like that. So, like, the first card I thought of was a white card, that, or no, black card, which would say, like, uh, the problem with Grave of the Fireflies is all the blank. If you know if you know anything about Cards Against Humanity, you know that the range of things that could complete that sentence would, would be totally, totally horrible. Uh, so the next day, I started working on a second expansion, which was called Grognards Against Humanity, which is full of uh, RPG-related stuff. Although a lot of it is like message board in-jokes and stuff. So unless you follow story games and or uh, grognards.txt pretty closely, you might not get a lot of that stuff, but whatever. Uh, although, I, although my favorite one from that is uh, In the Grim Darkness of Future, There Is Only Blank. Well, but anyway, so I made these two expansions and I posted them on uh, on the blog, and they haven't garnered a huge amount of attention. But the people who have seen it have have really liked it so far. I've actually I put together files and sent it off to get printed from SuperiorPod.com. So I'm I'm looking forward to that because uh, I made the files the, the the PDFs that I made I put on my website will go seamlessly with the uh, print and play version of Cards Against Humanity that you can get from cardsagainsthumanity.com, but I have the, the full official set, set that I ordered from Amazon, so the POD ones that I got made up uh, should work seamlessly with the, you know, the, the full-size pre-printed version. So I'm really looking forward to those arriving, although it, it, it costs a lot and it's taking a while. And I did put the uh, TIFF files up on that same blog post, but until I get the cards back from them, I'm not going to be sure that they work properly, so if you want to try them you can do it at your own risk. Uh, okay, so which brings us to which brings us to channel A. Um, basically, I wanted to do. Uh, I realized that I really like this style of card game. Uh, I, I like it because it, it's you know it still has the uh, the create some of the creativity and the human interaction and the kind of fuzziness of an RPG. But it's in a card game format that uh, has the advantages of, you know, being uh, better aimed at, like, pickup play and things like that. So I was like, okay, I want to do a game like this of my own. Uh, what could I do? So the, the, the first idea I hit on that I totally ran with was to be a game about where you, uh, you have cards with, like, uh, words from anime titles. And you put them together and you make a title and you try to pitch the kind of, uh, you pitch what the series is going to be like. And within a week or two, I had a prototype, and I was trying it out, and it's been pretty fun so far. Um, so, the, and uh, I'll link to it in the show notes, and also just if you look at the blog along the right side, I added a page for it. Um, but basically, the idea is every player has a has a hand of ten title cards. One person's a producer; they draw five uh, con uh, premise cards, 
and then pick two to play. So it'll be something like, like one that actually came up in the game was Vampires and Racing. So everyone uh, puts together a title uh, from one to four title cards and then does a quick pitch. And then uh, I wound up uh, adapting something from the new version of uh, The Big Idea, which is originally from Cheap Ass Games and is now a sim- in a simplified form done by a, tr- a French company called Fun Forge, and it's hard to find in America, apparently. Uh, what was I saying? Oh, so uh, basically th- there's a voting mechanic. Uh, originally I had it so the producer sits out and then just picks one and I like the voting mechanic better but I'm still testing and refining it um, so it's a bit more it, it requires more on the spot creativity and it requires more time than something like Apples to Apples or Cards Against Humanity but I am really liking how it's turning out so far there's a free uh, print and play prototype up on my website and if it interests you at all please do check it out uh, I know one person already has and uh, made a suggestion to allow the producer to, to put in basically up to five premise cards which is which sounds interesting and I but I'm you know I'm gonna try it out before I even put it into the rules so yeah that that's my foray into card games and I've already been thinking about like say uh, a channel a expansion that would deal with uh, like video games instead and also uh a reskin for b movies call it studio b um but we'll see how that goes uh i have already commissioned an artist to do a set of six chibi characters that will go on like all of them would go on the box and then uh use one for each for one on each of the three categories of cards, so like the premise cards would have, I have, I have this, this art of like a, a a girl in a suit relaxing, lounging in a chair with a big grin, little sign on the desk that says producer. That's going to go on the back of each premise card and uh, stuff like that. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, I what I want is for the the title cards to have the the title words in like uh, each one in a in a special font or and logo type form. To make them look cooler, but then you know there's 200 of them, so you know I, I really want uh, Clay Gardner to do because he's done such a fantastic job on uh, Golden Sky Stories. I want him to to do the uh, graphic design for it, but it's kind of like you know here here's design 200 logos, and you know even with uh, reusing styles a lot, it's still going to be a ton of work for him. So uh, and you know, with all the other stuff. I have to do, and then he has plenty of work that pays better, so it's going to be a while before we before we really do that, and you know, I need to test the crap out of the game first anyway, so, but yeah, do feel free to try it out. Uh, okay, so one other thing I want to talk about, which is that I have been working on a book that is not a RPG. Uh, it's called, it's a kind of a anthology of random humor stuff that I'm writing. It's called I Want to Be an Awesome Robot, and uh, I have a website, uh, it was originally going to be for, like, uh, freelance translation stuff, but I never really used it for that. It's at studio-ufo.com, and I've turned that into a blog about, basically, my non-RPG stuff. So there's some posts about it there. Um, but it's just, uh, you know, the, the book is about, is divided into chapters about different subjects, one of which includes role-playing games, but it, it's just a collection of different random, goofy stuff. There's, there's a little bit of uh, kind of memoir type stuff towards the end, which is, so it gets a little bit serious, but not much. So one of the things that I'm going to be doing with it is that uh, one of the key inspirations for it was the works of John Hodgman. Uh, and if you're familiar, his books, uh, 
uh, more information than you require, and that is all. Both have a calendar thing where for each day of the year it has a little uh, piece about something or other. Uh, so for uh, I Want to Be an Awesome Robot, I've actually written a uh, calendar called Today in Geek History. And what I'm going to be doing with that is I'm actually, for 2013, I am planning to do a daily podcast. So I'm going to record a lot of it as much as possible in advance and queue it up and stuff to make my life easier. Uh, I, I have the calendar basically written, barring a little bit of revision. Um, so I'm going to read a tiny bit of it. Uh, I've been recording, I decided to record this podcast all at once, and I'm, I'm a little past the one hour mark, so my voice is kind of giving out, so bear with me here. Um, but let's read a few. Uh, February 2nd, today is Groundhog Day, the day each year when Bill Murray becomes trapped in a time loop until he learns a valuable life lesson. There's also some kind of folk belief about groundhogs. February 7th, 1836, following the difference engine and analytical engine, Charles Babbage begins designing a third computer, this one with amusements in mind. This was the Unreal Engine, which would run a war simulation coded in punch cards. This game, never completed during his lifetime, was to be called Call of Honor, Napoleonic Warfare. May 23, 1983. Ronald Reagan announces the Star Wars defense plan. Although the core of the plan was to develop technological countermeasures against nuclear warfare, Reagan's proposal did include modest funding for the development of lightsabers. May 1st. Today is Walpurgisnacht, which is German for Walpurgis Night, a spring festival from Europe that dates back to the 15th century. In the traditional celebration, a girl is dressed in pink and becomes the Madoka and has a mock battle with the laughing Walpurgis in order to prevent it from destroying the world. May 26th, 1897. Bram Stoker's novel Dracula is published. This is the seminal work of vampire fiction, but vampire lore has changed over the course of many movies, such that the typical vampires of today are very different from Stoker's original vision. In particular, Dracula was weaker but otherwise unharmed in sunlight, he kept a lovely flower garden, and every year he secretly took part in the local Walpurgisnacht night celebration, see May 1st, as the Homura. June 9th, 1978. TSR publishes the Player's Handbook for Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, Gary Gygax intended this new volume to create a single standardized set of rules for D&D to reign in the chaos of the mass of house rules and zines that had polluted his vision. This new standard included the table of prostitutes to determine just what sort of women of the night the group of adventurers might encounter. However, a result of haughty strumpet could result in a total party kill, as due to a typographical error, haughty strumpets had 16 hit dice and could exhale a cloud of toxic gas. July 29th, 1972. Happy birthday, Will Wheaton. Born in Burbank, California, Wheaton would gain geek fame slash infamy for his role in Star Trek The Next Generation TNG as Wesley Crusher, a young man who was on the Enterprise mainly because his mom worked there. Shortly after the series ended, Wheaton offered Paramount a treatment for a spin-off series called Sparks McGee. This would feature Wheaton himself as a badass in a cowboy hat who strode around the Enterprise kicking butt and getting laid with his space bitches. Executive producer Rick Berman found the idea interesting, but Paramount wouldn't approve of it in its original form. By the time the studio executives had finished with their changes, it had become Star Trek Voyager. August 1st, 1981. Music video cable channel MTV goes on the air. The very first song they air is Video Killed the Radio Star by The Bugles. But this is because an error in the studio led to David Bowie's song MTV Will Do All in Its Power to Destroy Music As We Know It and I Will Watch and Laugh not airing. September 4th, 1998. 
Larry Page and Sergey Brin found Google, a new search engine that features an exceptionally advanced new search algorithm. After a lengthy discussion, Page and Brin named their project after Heinrich Google, the German philosopher notable for his treatise Auf gut Glück, I'm feeling lucky, in which he opined that when searching for something, it's best to just accept the first thing you come across. October 9th, 2007. This is one of my favorites. Valve releases Portal, an innovative video game that combines a first-person perspective with puzzles and physics simulation. The villain of the game, an insane artificial intelligence called GLaDOS, was loosely based on one of the designer's experiences working for EA, albeit edited to make it seem less sinister. The actual insane AI that runs EA's Redwood Shores campus is called Mados, and speaks with the synthesized voice of John Madden. December 2nd, 1987. Luzaki completes a prototype of the world's first D-666. It is approximately nine inches across, and the assistant who attempted to roll it disappeared in a vortex of purple smoke. December 8, 1989. Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, reports a rain of polyhedral dice from the sky. These pelt the landscape and cause considerable property damage, but a young entrepreneur named Richard Chessick sees an opportunity. Anyway, I think that's more than enough of that. Um... So that's pretty much all I wanted to talk about for this podcast. Uh, the thing I want to do for the next one is a thing I've been wanting to do for ages, which is, and I'm titling it The Assumptions, which is basically me ranting about all the things that people assume need to be an RPG that really don't. Because uh, there's a ton of things that aren't harmful in and of themselves, but which people just like take as granted that have to be there. And I want to really talk about and deconstruct that and i posted a bit on twitter hashtag rpg assumptions if you really want to look back at it but you know i'm I'm planning to do a full podcast by myself which is probably going to be over an hour long like this one um so yeah look forward to that um i had a list of other ideas and i'm really tired right now and my voice is giving out so i'm not going to go look them up but you can expect hopefully well we will hope for more from me in the future, but we'll see. Today, I, today I, I got this recording done because I was at home because I have carpal tunnel syndrome and basically recording something let me actually do something creative without hurting my hand and it's and not totally going crazy. But now I need to have my hand recover in order to be able to do the editing for this and to post it. So, yeah. Anyway, uh... I'll say what I always say at the end of these things, which is thank you for listening, and I hope to be heard by you again soon.